Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Hi, everybody. Just me, Matt, today, flying solo while Mike is on his way to all sorts of adventure. I will be doing a solo cast this week and next week. We will see Mike again in three weeks, so look forward to that. But in the meantime, you just get a little old me. Today is May the 28th, 2022. This is episode 333. Yep, 333. That's probably good luck somewhere. Maybe that's bad luck in some countries. I'm actually not sure. All those threes kind of creep me out, you know? Um, thanks for joining us. If you do not know what the Media Boat Podcast is, let me tell you about it. We are a podcast that brings you news and thoughts about television, video games, movies, and music. Not necessarily in that order. All of that and more is what we do here. We do news and thoughts and all sorts of stuff. So let's get rolling right into it and let's start talking about music, our first section. And we always start music with the weekend. Weekend. Huh, wrong section. Um, we always start music with the Billboard charts. We start today with the Billboard 100, your hit songs chart, your singles chart. Top of the bunch this week at number one, again, is First Class by Jack Harlow. You can't escape it as much as you'd want to. Coming in at number two, As It Was by Harry Styles. Debuting at number three this week, N95 by Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar's album, Mr. Morale and the Hot Steppers, hits the charts this week. A couple of its songs are in the top five this week, with N95 charting the highest. Number four, Wait For You by Future, featuring Drake and Thames, dropping down a few this week. And then rounding out your top five, the other Mr. Morale song, Die Hard by Kendrick Lamar, is your number five song. That's your Billboard 100. Moving on to your albums chart, the Billboard 200. Number one, the aforementioned Kendrick Lamar record, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. If you want to hear our thoughts about that, you can go back to our podcast a couple weeks ago, where we talked about it in depth. But yeah, uh, topping the charts, I believe that is a continued record for him. I believe Damn also was a number one record when it debuted. So congrats to Kendrick on another, another number one. Moving down to number two this week, Un Verano Senti by Bad Bunny. Number three, I Never Liked You by Future. Debuting at number four this week, Minisode 2, Thursday's Child by Tomorrow X Together. That is um, all caps in case you were wondering why I said it that way. And rounding out your top five, unfortunately, because it will not die, is Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Um, just a thorn in our side, if there ever has been one in the Media Boat podcast. <laughs> Let's move on to new releases for this coming Friday. If you didn't like those, maybe you'd like some of these new releases. We start with You Can't Kill Me, also in all caps, by O70Shake. Inside Problems by Andrew Bird, Big Time by Angel Olsen, Welcome to Club 13, 13 written out in Roman numerals by Drive-By Truckers, The New Dark Ages by Guar, yes, that Guar, Versions of Modern Performance by Horse Girl, and 12 Carat Toothache by Post Malone. So we'll probably talk about a handful of those next week. I'll probably check out the Angel Olsen record, and I'll probably check out the Horse Girl record, and maybe Post Malone if I get to it. We'll see. We'll see how Friday goes. Let's move on to music news. We start in the world of, well, a media boat not so favorite, Justin Timberlake. Yes, the man of the woods himself. 
is in the news this week for doing something that a lot of popular artists have been doing the last couple of years, selling off their music catalog. So Justin, of course, has been one of the most successful pop singers of the past 20 years, even though the, maybe the last decade is a little bit questionable in that regard. And he has sold his song catalog to Hypnosis Song Management. The company announced that Hypnosis has acquired 100% of all of Justin Timberlake's copyright ownership and financial interests of the writer's and publisher's share of public performance income and the catalog of musical compositions written by Justin Timberlake, according to its announcement. Also included in this sale are the worldwide administration rights to the compositions, subject to the remaining term of music of Universal Music's administration rights, which expire in 2025. Further terms of the deal were not disclosed, although the Wall Street Journal cites unnamed sources as saying it was valued at just above $100 million and does not include future works from Justin Timberlake. To put that in perspective, that is the amount sources say Hypnosis paid for 50% of the worldwide copyright and income interests for Neil Young's 1,180 song catalog last year. So that means that yes, Justin's sale is not in the league of millions that we've seen Neil Young or Bruce Springsteen do recently, but also Justin Timberlake is like half of those guys' ages. And he's also has a much more limited catalog. That's, I mean, a thousand songs for Neil Young. I don't think Justin's even close. Um, it's different. It's a different game for somebody as young as Justin. But for him to do this so early in his career is now the big question. Is, does he think that this is a lucrative time to sell because of just how the way the economy is right now? I'd believe that if that was the case, but otherwise he's just riding a, a, a wave that we're seeing a lot of artists do right now. So not too surprising. Let's move on to the second story, which is not also very surprising, but it definitely caused some ripples, especially among pop Twitter and Instagram, because we bring the world to the, us to the world of TikTok this week, but not in the way you'd expect. Artists are actually not feeling too great about TikTok this week. And especially the relationship between TikTok and their record labels. So, the relationship between our artist and label, by the way, if this article that I'm reading sounds a little talky, it's because Variety used a bit of a more conversational tone for this one. I've noticed that they switch back and forth on their articles. I never know which one's going to be like, all right, authoritative press voice, and which ones are going to be like, let me tell you about something. Let me let me sit back in this chair and relax and tell you about a thing. This happens to be the latter, and unfortunately not the former, but bear with me. The relationship between artist and label is often perceived as being art and commerce, but it's rarely that simple. And that ongoing push-pull is broken into the open with Halsey's recent social media posts about her label apparently declining to release a new song until there was a viral TikTok moment to help promote it. No question, it's crass when an artist's creation is reduced to being marketed like a soft drink. On the other hand, the label's job is to promote the music in the most effective and creative way they can. And in subsequent posts and replies, Halsey wrote, I value the expertise and work of all the amazing people at my label. There are so many talented professionals there, before taking exception to the manner in which the message was apparently delivered. But surely we can add an opinion on the entry point of consumption they're trying to enforce. A suggestion is great, but an ultimatum? So, 
that's basically the story. So to sum it up, in case you didn't pick it up from, from that weird conversational tone, Halsey's basically saying that she has a single ready to release. It's done, it's produced. She feel, she has been told, apparently, allegedly, according to Halsey, by her label, Capital, in case you're wondering who's, who's the label in question here, that she cannot release it unless a song-based TikTok is released. A TikTok with that song in it is released and goes viral. That's the idea. I guess Capital is saying that that's part of the way the, the release plan for future stuff going forward. It seems like this is not the case just for Halsey either. Um, on conference via uh, conversations on Instagram and even separate situations with separate artists, um, artists such as Charlie XCX, we're talking about similar stuff. I saw Marin Morris respond to Halsey on Twitter to talk about her experience with this as well. So it's not just Halsey and it might not just be Capital. So here's where I spin to personal knowledge and I'm not going to get too personal. Obviously, I respect the privacy of some of the information that I have. I may more know more about this, but I cannot tell you here. Uh, but what I can tell you is that the last couple of years, there's been a push, uh, especially toward TikTok, but in general, a push toward social media as being a resource for influencing how music, how popular music is going to be. Labels are, from what I understand, going full force into this like never before, it seems like there may be leadership at the company that is especially interested in TikTok and what TikTok numbers can potentially do uh, for launching a single or in, in, in the current envir music environment. Because in the business that is right now, it's no longer about pushing uh, physical sales, even though those are uh, booming thanks to the vinyl's strength right now. Uh, it's always it's all about streaming numbers and streaming numbers are in, are lit up by popular social media accounts like TikTok. Yeah, say what you will about TikTok, but it is incredibly important right now for trend making. And so I don't blame labels for being like, oh, this is the place to be. But that being said, ultimately, the artists should be the arbiters of their creative work. They should be the ones being like, hey, I have an idea and this is how I want to go across it. Yes, the article's not wrong. The label's job is to promote the artist's music. But you have to do it on the artist's terms. Because otherwise, if you have artists angry at their labels, and if that's not a good relationship, then you've lost the whole plot at that point. If Halsey's out there telling everybody, hey, Capital's screwing me over, who's trusting that relationship anymore? Halsey sure certainly isn't. So Halsey's trust in her management is going, eroding every time something like this happens. And that goes, and that's just bad for the industry. You have to have a, me a mechanism that works for both. So I'm, I'm sad to see what's happening here. Uh, I hope that maybe Capital listens to the feedback. Some of the fans' response don't get it. A lot of people are like, well, we have full-time jobs. Why don't you do your job? It's like, art is different. Art is something different. It's gotta be from the heart. It's gotta be from the ideas from the artists themselves. And if me if the me mechanisms of capitalism and marketing get in the way, it sucks to make art. And it's just not a good, it's not a good vibe. So I guess all, my ultimate uh, takeaway here is that this is probably not gonna stop. It's probably only gonna get worse until the labels finally just give up and listen to their artists. 
TikTok can be a great tool. Social media can be a great tool for promotion, but you have to do it on the artist's terms. The artist should be the arbiter of these decision making of this decision making. And what we're seeing this week is kind of silly, in my opinion. So, all power to Halsey and getting this message out to the fans and making sure that she uses her uh, her fame and her influence for uh, for the good of all artists and for all people who release music. So we'll see what happens on this one. We'll keep an eye, uh, and maybe you'll find out more. All right, let's move on into the second or to, into the second part of the show here. Um, we're gonna mostly skip thoughts this week uh, until Mike gets back. Uh, you know, I have some things to talk about, but honestly, there wasn't any music I talked to think I think I listened to last week that I want to really talk about at length. Anyways, so it works out. Let's move on to video games. What a week in video games. Uh, but yeah, we start with new releases. Just three little ones this week. Silt. That's coming out for everything. I have no idea what it is. Diablo Immortal. So this week it is coming out on iOS and PC, but I believe it's in beta. So if you want to try out the PC version, I believe you will have to sign up. Um, from what I understand though, good early feedback from people saying that it's, hey, it's a Diablo game. That you can play like that you can play on your phone and apparently it's not a bad one so blizzard might actually have some good pr for the first time in a while but hey we'll see how it goes and then lastly soldiers that's like you know army soldier but with a u in it so you know you know what brandon flowers said he's you know he's not he's got soul but etc <coughs> excuse me Moving on into video game news, those are your new releases. Uh, first story is actually a little a one that I had picked up last week right before we rec uh, recorded, but I wanted to give it a week to really flesh out and really understand if anything else was going to come out of it. So, here's the story. It has to do with EA. Electronic Arts is apparently uh, claimed to be actively pursuing a sale or merger in the wake of the recent merger and acquisitions activity in the game industry, such as Microsoft's $68.7 billion acquisition of Activision. That's according to a new report by news site Puck. Unfortunately, Puck's article is paywalled, so I've not read the entirety of the real thing. But according to reporting about that article, it claims that EA has, quote, been persistent in pursuing a sale and has recently held talks with companies like Disney, Apple, Amazon, and even Comcast, NBC Universal. That's one company, by the way, in case you missed the last decade of acquisitions. <laughs> it's claimed that talks with the latter, Comcast, progressed the furthest before eventually falling apart last month, with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts allegedly proposing to spin off NBC Universal and merge his company, Comcast, with EA. Quote, the general terms of the proposal, which lawyers and bankers for both sides negotiated for several weeks, would have seen the Roberts family take majority control of the combined entity, the report claims. In the configuration most seriously discussed, the company would have been run by Andrew Wilson, current head of EA. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, in, this, in the wake of the Activision merger and just thinking about how acquisitions are going on right now in the games industry, seeing EA for sale or available to merge is not actually that surprising as you'd think. EA is not the company it was 20 years ago. EA is not this juggernaut that's publishing like 
20 games a month and is like the third party and is literally everywhere. You don't see the same kind of volume coming out of them anymore. They certainly still sell a lot of games. I mean, FIFA is one of the best-selling games in the world every year it comes out. And Madden is a trusted sales leader here in the U.S. And when they do sell a more traditional, like, non-sports game, it's a big deal, too. The Mass Effect series, Dragon Age. But they're, like, more smaller, like, mid-tier releases. They're base hits, if you will. Your Need for Speeds, your Mirror's Edges, you know, they've kind of gone by the wayside. The company's not as prolific as they used to be. So with only a handful of gems in the catalog and the business side of things saying, hey, look at that, those billions of dollars over there. We could use, like, we could use that. We could figure something out long term with EA and what we want to do with EA in the future if we had a partner to do it with and if we had a budget to do it with instead of just keeping, trying to continue to compete with the future behemoth of Activision, Microsoft, that they're probably scared and shaking in their boots over. You look at the resources of a company like that, a giant tech company, and that kind of money, you look at little EA, and all of a sudden, those are not equivalent companies like they used to be. So I don't blame EA for being like, all right, if we're going to do it, we have to do it now when the going is hot. So the other part of this is... Well, if Comcast isn't going to do it, who will? So, as the story talked about, the people they talked, the companies they talked about were not video game companies or even technology companies. They were, they're big entertainment companies. So, do they go back to the table with Disney, Apple, Activision? Maybe. I mean, a lot of people were saying it makes sense for where Activision, or sorry, where Amazon is. Um, I meant Amazon. I don't know if I said Activision there. Amazon uh, makes sense, some sense considering where Amazon is going with their business. They are already pivoting, had made a pivot towards video games. They're trying to get Luna to be a thing that people know about and care about. Not working out so far, but maybe if somebody's like EA is in their fold, then maybe that's enough of a reason for people to try it out. Um, it gets Activision, or god damn it, Amazon... <laughs> It gets Amazon's name in more, a broader entertainment portfolio, especially following the MGM purchase that got them into filmmaking. It makes, there's a lot of things that make sense for Amazon. Do I want Jeff, of Jeff Bezos related Amazon? I mean, he's not there anymore, but you know what I mean. Uh, like, do I want that company and how they run that company related to a video game company who already has had issues in its past? Probably not ethically and morally, but business you're gonna have to throw that stuff out the window it looks like doesn't that eh. anyway um but maybe we get surprised here um you know before this would have before the story would have gone i would have been like maybe sony but i don't know if sony can afford that right now so probably not and you know microsoft ain't gonna do it because they just did one <laughs> so no it's not gonna happen as for mergers which is a very strong option for them uh, Mike and I, uh, last week when we were talking about the story, uh, were joking, what about Square Enix? So that was the story about how supposedly the IDOS sale was maybe trimming some of their fat so they could merge or be sold. So maybe you have an EA Square Enix partnership. I could see it. It's equal parts Western and Eastern. 
it's a good combination of resources. Uh, it also harkens back to the days of the late 90s where they did have a partnership, uh, EA Square Enix, or Square, or, sorry, EA Square or Square EA, when they were like um, distributing games like Final Fantasy VII in the U.S., published for P PC, published by EA, stuff like that. So it could happen again. I don't know, uh, but that's just speculation. A lot of this is speculation until we see anything, any movement or announcements by EA themselves. But I wouldn't be surprised if this happens sooner than later, like maybe fiscal this fiscal year, in order to get the most money possible from this deal. So keep your eyes peeled. We certainly will. All right. Let's move on into uh, the second story this week. This is a little bit of a follow-up from last week. Last week, we talked about PlayStation Plus's rebrand a little bit more by giving you some of the games that would be featured in the Classics lineup and the current lineup uh, for what's being offered in the new tiers of PlayStation Plus. In case you missed that or don't know what I'm talking about, the Sony is relaunching PlayStation Plus as a Game Pass equivalent of sorts. That will have a library of games that you can download and play or stream in the case of PS3 games um, that run the gamut from PS1 classics emulated for PS4 to PS2 games to PS3 games streaming and to modern PS4 and PS5 games that you can download if you're in the highest premium tier. This week's story though focuses on the classics, specifically the PlayStation 1 classics, and this news may influence your decision to sign up for this if you're interested in playing those games. It appears that some classic PlayStation games being added to the revamped catalog appear to be based on the slower PAL 50Hz versions. If you don't know video game history or format history, you might be scratching your head at this one. Let me give you the real quick, quick and dirty version of what I mean by this. So, back when CRT TVs were the standard, there had to be different standards for the U.S. and European uh, countries. The reason is because the technology differed with how televisions were made. Uh, here, the format was referred to as NTSC format, and that ran at a default either um, uh, 30 or 60 uh, hertz, and that means basically that it runs about what you'd expect like the, at the speed that we're used to seeing video games. However, in PAL regions, um, like Europe and England, um, it ran slightly slower because 50 hertz was the standard of their technology. So that meant when people made video games for both regions, the PAL version had to run slightly slower to match that lower hertz. The, game, the example I've been given a lot is a 30 frames per second video game, which was the standard for a very long time, would run in the PAL version around 25 frames. So when you played a PAL game, say, emulated on a U.S. system, it would run weird because it would run faster than it did originally. That would actually mess up some games because if some games were literally designed for PAL systems, if they were British games, for example, for like an Amiga, it would look weird running faster than it was intended. Or the other way around, right? If you have a PAL version, like, I don't know. Anyways, so this has caused problems for Sony already in the past. In the PlayStation Classic, the little console that they released, uh, Sony released a couple of years ago, 
though some of those emulated games were also the PAL versions, and people complained back then about how weird it was to see those running on an NTSC uh, or like a normal television. Oh, just in case you were wondering, that's no longer the case with modern HD standards. Everything's the same everywhere now. Anyways, to continue the story, now that I've given you the context, PlayStation 1 and PlayStation P uh, Portal, PSP, uh, games started appearing on the Asian region PlayStation stores earlier this week, ahead of the, the, ahead of the revamped PlayStation Plus coming to select markets on Tuesday. A user playing the PS1 version of Ape Escape via the Indonesian PS Store first noticed that it appears to be based on the PAL version of the game because it credits Sony Computer Europe during its intro and runs at 25 frames. All other first-party PS1 games on the Classics lineup, including Everybody's Golf, Wild Arms, Jumping Flash, and Kurushi, also appear to be based on the European PAL versions. So again, not great news, because you're going to see a little weird game uh, playback with the speed of the games, uh, with this being the case. So apparently, as of today, I saw an article right before I uh, recorded here, that Sony is already trying to experiment with some fixes, trying to speed up and get that equivalent to uh, the 30 frames to happen. But it looks like that's backfiring in them and it's creating some ghosting effects with the graphics. So yeah, disappointing. Of course, there's the question of why Sony keeps going to the PAL well uh, for these re-releases and it's unclear. It seems like depending on who you ask, it might just be because Sony is so European based right now with their leadership coming from that experience. So maybe that's the catalog they have access to. Uh, but it's not like they wouldn't have NTSC ROMs. Like they, it's just, it's such a weird, it's just a weird thing to not consider that difference. Uh, if you're wondering how other uh, publisher, uh, console publishers are doing it right now, well, Nintendo is a great example. They actually do the work and put out the NTSC and PAL region versions in their respective regions. So who knows? It might be a language thing, maybe, uh, too. They want a version with all the languages in it. But honestly, it's just a weird over, over like a, a weird thing to not think about if you're Sony and not consider that people might want it to run like it used to run. So yeah, just another hit on the PlayStation Plus Vive going into its release next month here in the U.S. So we'll keep keep you up to date on it, but man, that thing is going to be a hard sell, like we talked about last week. All right, let's move on into uh, some television. Didn't play a whole lot of games this week, so I don't have much to talk about that there, so let's move on. We start television with, of course, the sports corner. I'm going to be vague here because I don't know as much information about these things as Mike probably does. Justin Thomas is your winner of the PGA Championship in the playoff round. So congratulations to Justin Thomas. Meanwhile, Ryan Blaney won the NASCAR All-Star Race. We also have the announcement of the Match 6 which this year, in, which is golf, by the way, they're it's a celebrity golf thing that's been happening for the last few years. This year, your matchups are Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. God, no matter who wins, we lose. And then uh, Patrick Mahomes and, oh boy, I've been provided with the last name, Alan, and no first name. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. 
So some guy with the last name Allen, and I can't tell you who it is. And then lastly in sports news this week, the Indy 500, of course, happens annually, will be happening this Memorial Day as of this recording this coming Monday. So enjoy your day off and watch some really fast cars. Have fun. All right, that's it for the sports corner. Um, obviously, the NBA playoffs and the NHL hockey playoffs uh, are still continuing. So um, hopefully your teams are getting into the finals. Let's move on into television news proper. And the first one, <laughs> oh, the first one is very funny to me. Seth Green. Yes, you remember Seth Green. Was kind of everywhere in the 2000s. Kind of petered off now. Uh, Seth Green was going to reappear on television with an animated series, but uh, that might not happen anymore because some property invo uh, involving the production or key to the production's uh, existence has been stolen. I am uh, I am happy to report <laughs> that all of Seth Green's apes are gone. All right, let me explain what I mean by that joke. If you're not online enough to get it. NFTs. Uh, Seth Green's show is going to be based on NFTs, specifically NFTs from the Bored Ape Company, a prominent NFT company that's seen a lot on social media, such as Twitter. The upcoming project, called White Horse Tavern, was based on a Bored Ape NFT named Fred Simeon. Real creative name there. And has been in the works for some time, but has now been halted as Seth Green technically no longer owns the right to the Fred Simeon character after a phishing scam. Quote, I bought that ape in July 2021 and have spent the last several months developing and exploiting, ugh, phrasing, uh, the IP to make it into the star of the show, said Green during a Web3 conference. <laughs> then, quote, days before he's about to make his world debut, he's literally kidnapped. His stolen board ape NFT was part of a phishing scam and was purchased by a user named Darkwing84 for a staggering $200,000. After losing the NFT, the likeness and usage rights to ape number 8,398, or Fred Simeon, uh, belongs to someone else. That means that Green's show at the moment would violate the copyright of the current owner. So, it just reads like parody at this point. It just reads like somebody envisioned a stupid future, and here's the stupid future in front of us. You don't... You just don't base an entertainment property on something that can be easily stolen from you. You don't base it on something that doesn't even really exist. It's right in the name. Non-fungible. You can't feel it. You can't take it somewhere. You can't physically check on it, see if it's safe. You can't put it in a vault and lock it away. No, it's gonna get taken by hackers. It's too easy to be taken. We already had a dude talk about how all his apes got stolen. Seth Green, keep an eye on your apes. Don't let them get stolen. Anyways, this probably would have been terrible anyway, so maybe this is saving us uh, some time and, and uh, life and soul. This is saving us a lot of sanity, probably. So Seth Green will come up with something else to exploit. <laughs> God. Ugh, awful. Let's move on to something um, a little bit more uh, sobering and something exactly opposite in tone. And this is where I need to 
talked about last week and what's been going on here in the good old, or maybe not, uh, United States of America, just real briefly. Uh, if somehow you uh, missed this, um, we had a couple of uh, just back-to-back -back, uh, mass shootings here in the U.S. again. First in Buffalo and the second uh, in an elementary school in Texas. Whew. Um, that latter one has definitely um, stirred a lot of people up and it's just reignited, I think, and for good, um, the need, the absolute need at this point, the desperate need for gun control and uh, control over rifle use specifically um, to prevent these mass shootings from, keep, from just keeping happening and being a normal piece of American life. Obviously, it's made me very angry. It's made a lot of people very angry that this keeps happening and that there's prominent uh, figures here in the U.S. that are so adamant about it not being a gun issue that refute that they refuse to even try, that they refuse to even think about what it could possibly mean, what it could possibly do for us to remove guns from these situations. That's not even on the table. That's not even a Thing they want to address and it's just it's it makes you angry it makes you irate at just everything and it just makes you uh embarrassed to live here and having to just deal with a status quo like this as dark and horrible because what happened was horrible what happened was awful and that's not even getting into you know reports coming about about police activity at the area how police were resident even go and try to go into the classrooms and try to deal with the perpetrator of these crimes to deal with the gunman and try to uh, actually do what police are supposed to do protect the fact that they didn't and they let the parents and the teachers try to do it instead and a lot of them lost their lives because of it and a lot of kids a lot of innocent kids lost their lives because of it because of inactivity from the people who we literally pay to protect us i mean that's a whole you know the policing is a whole can of worms we cannot get into right now but what i will say is it's just an embarrassment for the country it's a tragic event and we obviously you know hope the best for the families of the victims and hope for recovery and hope that they have time and space to deal with what's happened but that we also hope that the country has time and space to deal with preventing this from happening and trying to do literally anything. I mean, we have a president that has the ability to pass some sort of executive le legislation, just refuses to, just does not, and just wonders what we can do. Wonders. Instead of doing, instead of acting. Anyway, so that's kind of the table setting uh, with what we're dealing with this week. And, um, it's just a lot. It's a lot to live here and deal with this constantly, and it just never stops. Um, but here on the Media Vote podcast, our job is to report about entertainment news, and sometimes that intersects with the larger political spectrum. And in this week, uh, we do have a news story that does, but I just needed to, you know, set the table and let you know what our stance here at the Media Vote podcast is about this. You shouldn't be surprised with how we usually lean. Um, but yeah, no, AR-15s are stupid. They should not be... They should not exist, honestly. Uh, in my opinion, just throw them all out. Just throw all guns out. We don't need any of them. 
But if you look at the stats, AR-15 specifically, these assault rifle weapons are the ones being used in these shootings. Time after time after time. Uh, a couple years ago, the shooting that happened literally down the street from my apartment. Um, that was a rifle, that was automatic rifle like an AR-15 as well. It's just... I don't get it. And I have yet to hear an argument for why they need to still be around and accessible. But... Neither here nor there. Because, like I said, powers that be just won't do anything about it. But anyway, we do have an entertainment story under all this, and it has to do with the CBS show FBI. The season finale of FBI has been pulled by CBS after the tragic school shooting in Texas. The episode titled Prodigal Son hits close to the news, given that it was involving the team preventing a school shooting. The official synopsis of the fourth season final finale, sorry, written by showrunner Rick Eide and directed by Alex Chappell. As the team investigates a deadly robbery that garnered a cache, a cache of automatic weapons for the killers, they discover one of the perps is a classmate of Jubal's son, who is reluctant to cooperate with the case. So in its place, CBS will air a rerun of the season's 12th episode, which originally aired back in February. There's no official word if the season finale will air the following week or a later date. If I was CBS, I would maybe keep that on the shelf for a little longer. Because I hope that this conversation does not go away. And I hope that people are still thinking about this for weeks to come to make sure um, that we do something about it for reals this time. And of course, at the same time, you know, all of that can be true. And I don't believe you should have cognitive dissonance with this and the fact that if it is overwhelming you and if it is too much, you can take a break from social media for a while. Like, take care of your mental health. Take care of your sanity because that's just as important to fight this going forward. So if, yeah, if this is too much, if the news is all ever too much, you can unplug for, for a second. Keep, you know, this is Memorial Day weekend. It's the perfect time to just unplug for a day. Take your day off and, and if you have it, I understand a lot of, you know, a lot of workers and all retail workers probably still have to work. All power to you, man. Like, all those people, you were seriously the heroes. Regardless, uh, take some time to yourself if this is all too much, because it can be crushing. But the work should be getting done, and the work needs to be getting done. Hopefully the people who can are doing it, and will do it, and that's what we have to hope for. Um, you know, I'll try to do my part, but there's only so much I can do. So, yeah, as long as we all have that mindset, maybe we can maybe we can work for a better world where this isn't our reality, where this isn't our day to day. I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's move on to some sunnier stuff. We move out of the television news and into some cancellations and renewals. Disney Plus has brought back High School Musical, the musical of the series, for a fourth season. I'm assuming that will include star and pop juggernaut Olivia Rodrigo. We'll see. PBS has announced the finale of Endeavor after nine seasons. Disney Plus is bringing back Andor, that's Star Wars, colon, Andor, for a second season ahead of its debut. Now we have a few deaths to talk about, some real rough ones this week. First up, Lee Dawson, age 90, soap, soap opera actress was in Guiding Light, One Life to Live, and Love of Life. 
Alan White, age 72, a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame drummer uh, known for drumming in prog band Yes, as well as Plastic Ono Band. Then we have Andy Fletcher, age 60, the keyboardist for Depeche Mode, so a, uh, a synth a pop uh, progenitor, uh, progenitor. My words are broken. I got a lot on my mind. I don't know if you know if you could figure that out. Anyways, so yes, he will be missed as well. But the big one um, that happened this week, Ray Liotta, age 67, actor, famous for Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, Shades of Blue, uh, the lead character in um, in uh, GTA Vice City. Um, yeah, just prolific and won an Emmy back in 2005. So uh, yeah, sad to see Ray Liotta go, a, a staple of that of the uh, of that genre of genre films. And just yeah, just a just a guy everybody recognized. Sad, and young too, sixty-seven. All right, let's move on into the box office for this weekend. Your number one movie was yet again Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That's at thirty-two million dollars this week, with three hundred forty-two million total domestic. Number two, Downton Abbey: A New Era, jumping up to number two this week inexplicably with a sixteen or no, sorry, debuting at number two this week with a sixteen million dollar debut. We also have number three, The Bad Guys, that the DreamWorks film, still hanging out with $6.1 million, adding to a $74 million total. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with $4 million, adding to a $181 million total that is now available on Paramount Plus streaming, if you're waiting for that. Number And uh, rounding out your top five men with $3.2 million in its debut. And your weekly Everything Everywhere All at Once watch, Sitting at number six with another $3.1 million that crossed the $50 million mark and is now at 52. It is still on track to be A24's uh, biggest movie ever. So congratulations to them. Let's move on to new releases. If you're enjoying the movies this weekend, you're probably either seeing Top Gun Maverick or the Bob's Burgers movie. And if you're the second one and not the first, you and I should be friends. <laughs> I may see that movie this week and maybe i'll talk about it next week uh so we'll see but this uh coming up week the third uh june 3rd we have uh yes right that is the coming up weekend uh yes coming up friday for june 3rd we have something called watcher Ooh, interesting so look forward to that moving on into movie news just a couple of quick bits this week first up sony pictures made some news this week and this actually ties in a little bit of a crossover with video games because they are currently in development of 10 different projects based on playstation titles between film and television the news comes via an investor presentation that ceo tony vinciquera gave on thursday first up are the known projects like horizon zero dawn being going to series for netflix god of war going to series for amazon prime and The Last of Us at HBO, and a Gran Turismo movie that will be headed by Neil Blomkamp. Yes, that Neil Blomkamp, director of District 9 and Elysium. Other announcements at an development include Ghost of Tsushima, a film adaptation written by Chad Stileski, who is a writer from John Wick, and a Twisted Metal series, and a sequel to the Uncharted film, since that did okay, and two more yet-to-be-revealed projects. So if it's got Sony's PlayStation Studios name on it, then it's probably going to get adapted to something. So if you're a fan, uh, you have a lot to potentially look forward to. 
So, uh, yeah, a lot of movies. I would love a Horizon series. I feel like Horizon is the first, is the, the, the perfect kind of universe that I would want to see adapted into a, a fantasy series. I think there's a lot of cool shit in that world that you can do. Probably work a lot better than that Halo thing is going. Let me tell you. Um, Gran Turismo, the movie, seems weird to me. Is it just about a racer? Like, a race car driver? Is that what that is? Is it just Rush? That movie directed by Ron Howard? Is that just what this is? I don't know. It's a weird idea. Also, not what I would get Neil Blomkamp to do. Put him on Horizon. Why not? And Twisted Metal series makes some sense as well. Just really gritty, sweet tooth. Take, like, murdering people and driving his little ice cream truck. I can see it. Just Breaking Bad with Sweet Tooth. Let's do it. So yeah, and of course God of War. I mean, you already have, if they do it on the most recent God of War, you already have like a template with the Viking shows and stuff like that. You already have a kind of, uh, you could do a Games of Thronesy kind of take on God of War very, very easily. So that's not, that's not hard. And yeah, and what we know about The Last of Us HBO thing is basically already an HBO show in a video game form. So it'll work okay. It'll be okay. Let's move on to our second film story here, which is one I did not expect to read this week. Hey, you like Winnie the Pooh? Do you like horror movies? I didn't think that Venn diagram was ever going to intersect, but it just might happen. As A.A. Milne's original Winnie the Pooh stories have only lapsed into the public domain five months ago, believe it or not. But the tubby little chubby or the Chubby Little Cubby, sorry. Chubby Little Cubby. Has already made his foray into slasher films. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, wrapped earlier this month. And the first stills showing a demonic poo and piglet about to pounce on a scantily clad young woman relaxing in the hot tub have already set the internet on fire. <laughs> Quote, because of all this press and stuff, we're just going to start expediting the edit and getting it through post-production as fast as we can, said director Reese Waterfield. Quote, but also making sure it's still good. It's going to be a high priority. According to Waterfield, who also wrote and co-produced the film, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey will see Pooh and Piglet as the main villains going on a rampage after being abandoned by a college-bound Christopher Robin. It's a little Toy Story thrown in there uh, for good measure. Okay, all right. So note about this. I saw a post that actually sums it up really well. So yes, the... Winnie the Pooh stories, the original children's stories uh, by A.A. Milne, are the thing that is going into public domain. Yes, you're probably thinking, hey, I thought Disney owned that stuff. So they don't own the stories. What they own is that version of Winnie the Pooh, the red shirt, no pants. I'm specific here because one of my favorite uh, uh, tweets I saw about this in the last year, there was somebody who wrote a, a really funny one. About like if you're, if your poo has a uh, has a shirt, you're in the clear. But if your poo is is nude, then your poo is free or something like that. Or no, your poo is a shirt that's Disney's, and then if your poo doesn't have a shirt, then it's then it's in the clear or something like that. I forget what it was, but it was funny. Uh, but yeah, so depending on the depiction of Winnie the Pooh, you can get away with this kind of stuff now, and they are planning to get away with it. I foresee a lot of confusion though happening around it, especially with younger people being like. What? This is not Winnie the Pooh. Like this is this is graphic and bloody. Like Winnie the Pooh is good. He's kind and gentle, and he loves honey. 
and he spells it wrong. Um, so yeah, interesting. Um, maybe leans a little too far into, oh, your childhood, but fucked up kind of thing, which I don't love, but you know, it's fine. Let them do whatever they want with public domain. That's why public domain is great. Damn it. Anyways, that'll do it uh, with uh, with uh, movies. And that'll do it for the Media Book Podcast. Just a, a 48-minute banger for you this week. Uh, like I said, it'll be me again just solo next week as well. So get ready for more of this guy. I'm sure you'll love it. And uh, more thoughts, or not more thoughts, more news uh, from the world of entertainment next week and more new releases to look forward to. So stay tuned. In the meantime, if you want to see the video versions of this podcast and an archive of previous episodes, you can go to video or videos. You can go to youtube.com and search Media Boat Podcast. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications when we go live, like this fine Saturday morning that we're having right now with each other. You can also find us in audio recorded uh, form on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon. You can find us on uh, iHeartRadio as well and Spotify, unfortunately. We're all sorts of places. Just search Media Boat Podcast and you'll find us. If you want to follow us on social media, on Twitter, our handle is at at MediaBoatCast, I believe. So find us there. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest about the show, suggestions, anything, you can email us, mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com is that email address. You can send us anything and we'll probably read it on the air if you do. So try that out, why don't you? So yes, we will be back next week, or I will be back next week for another episode of just the same shit that you got this week. So stay tuned, tune in then. In the meantime, have a good week. Stay safe. Make sure you vote in the primaries. Be smart. It's not the ultimate solution, but it is a step that we can take as humans living in this hellscape. So please vote for your respective primaries. All right. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with more Media Vote Podcast. Bye-bye.